The Akkad and Kokar Report, episode number 54. Welcome to the Akkad and Kokar Report, the podcast dedicated to making sense of healthcare. From policy to economics, from evidence-based medicine to ethics, join us as Drs. Michelle Akkad and Anish Kokar diagnose and treat the latest epidemic of healthcare absurdities. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on this episode of the Akkad and Koka Report. I'm Michelle Akkad in San Francisco. Joining me is Anish, as always, from Philadelphia. And uh, we're delighted to have with us uh, Dr. Kathleen Brown. This is going to be, a, I think, a different uh, kind of episode because it will not be um, so much uh, an interview as a, a real conversation between three physicians, all three of us in private practice, um, sharing notes, you know, comparing our different path or different views or, or similar views about um, the healthcare system and, and how can one forge uh, you know, a decent career in private practice uh, in the U.S. today and how it's been, what are the challenges, the rewards, the difficulties and so forth. And Kathleen Brown is a perfect person to have this conversa- conversation with. Uh, I know Kathleen primarily through social media, through physician groups. And I, I'm always uh, uh, very um, uh, amazed by, uh, by your wisdom and, and uh, the clarity of your analysis, Kathleen. So thank you for joining us. Well, I hope I'll live up to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure nice you will. You. So Kathleen, you're, you're practicing currently uh, dermatology in Coos Bay, Oregon. And, um, and where, you know, so you, you'll give us a little bit of a background on, on your career path, your journey so far, um, in, in broad brush strokes? Well, I'm a little unusual because I finished internal medicine after I finished dermatology. I was a double major in biology and music and couldn't make up my mind and then uh, couldn't make up my mind on my specialty. So I did both and uh, practiced both for a period of time and then uh, limited to dermatology. We were on the East Coast, uh, Virginia, Maryland, D.C., and then in 1997, took a bold move and moved out to the West Coast and enjoyed the, the outdoors and joined a really nice group. A um, little bit of, I would say an old fashioned group. I won a good internal medicine group. And uh, so I joined uh, Bay Clinic and I was there for 13 and a half years. So that was a group of uh, internists? Uh, you yes, said, we or? had, okay. I think, nine internists, five pediatricians, an obstetrician, and a gynecologist and okay. an allergist. And again, tell me that uh, time frame for the, when you joined that group. So that was 1997 to 2011. Okay. And uh, in those days, it would have been a sort of a typical uh, single specialty group, billing uh, Medicare and uh, private health insurance with hospital privileges, I suppose, at the local yes. community hospital. Yes. Admitting people for TPA, <laughs> right. uh, ICU. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, did, did it all. Okay. And what happened in uh, in 2011? Well, uh, I guess you call it Obamacare, Affordable Care, Unaffordable Care Act for Dr. Keith Smith. Um, I was opposed to that. I'd been concerned about what was going on in health care. And um, I just already had my fill of bureaucracy. But my real problem was Medicare. Um, the the coding system it was just increasingly I was increasingly enmeshed in bureaucracy, and finding it just onerous to practice medicine. So, uh, my husband, who's very entrepreneurial, helped me 
offer an alternative to myself and to my patients. Okay. And we, we opened in 2011. Before we get there, tell me a little bit, uh, were you, um, how did your colleagues perceive it um, in those days or did they go along or what, what was the, the, what were the reactions among the other internists? Oh, that will never work. <laughs> that was the reaction. Oh, no, that no not so work. much about your plans, but about oh, okay. what, what you were confronting, what was disenchanting oh. you. Oh, um, hmm. I guess I heard a lot of grumbling, but um, I, I guess I felt a little alone and feeling so dissatisfied with it. Okay. Okay. Did, did they, um, so you had, just to be clear, you had, you were in Oregon as part of a larger dermatology practice before 2011 hit, is that correct? Inter I was, internal medicine practice. It was a multi-specialty, but mostly internal medicine and pediatrics. Mm -hmm. I see. And you were doing most of the dermatology, is that right? All, or all of the dermatology. You were doing everything, all the dermatology. All right. But so you, even at that point, you had kind of, you were part of this multi-specialty group and all the referrals, um, you would essentially, you know, the, the, the group would refer you the dermatology work and you would right i joined as an internist and said could you also use a dermatologist and became extremely busy and after two years i dropped internal medicine because i just i was overwhelmingly busy so now as part of a larger practice weren't they dealing with a lot of the stuff that you know a lot of the obamacare type of the regulations and um you know in terms of billing and payment and uh, what, what were the pre could you go through some of the some of the okay so here's the interesting part um i guess you'd say i had a bad payer mix but mm. um interesting thing in oregon we have oregon health plan which is uh managed care medicaid and it's the prioritized list oregon's famous for its prioritized list they rank the diagnoses from most um most critical to be covered down to least critical. And so in 2002, when there was a budget decline, most of my dermatology diagnoses got cut off from the list. And back then, Medicaid paid fairly poorly. Over the years, Medicare uh, remained flat in their payment, and the Oregon Health Plan, the Medicaid, paid quite a bit better than Medicare. So I'm in a group that is allowing their overhead to go up in order to get that reimbursement from Medicaid. So the physicians in OB and pediatrics were doing quite well while my pay was nose diving. So uh, because I had a different payer mix. And also I'd been there a while. So I had a lot of patients growing into Medicare. So I had about half my practice was Medicare. So that's what happened to me. <laughs> I see. So, I mean, it's really fascinating because, you know, I mean, for most folks, certainly for folks that are employed in, in large health systems, this is all totally opaque to them. And, yes. <laughs> and, you know, and this, so just bear with us. So Oregon, you're saying, has a system where Medicaid, managed Medicaid, pays based on, diagnoses and the diagnoses is in terms of the value of the diagnosis how important it is to cover yes yes and so ma managed medicaid which doesn't pay that much to begin with is, is there only one managed medicaid plan actually in actually surprisingly it began to pay very well and that's oh. a little known fact i see but it depends on the region and how good your 
group, your IPA. I mean, I know I'm throwing these acronyms out there, but, you know, the groups of doctors band together and they go to the state capital and they try to get good reimbursement for your area. And we're a very high Medicaid area. And so actually we were getting much better paid by Medicaid, but I had Medicare. So that's... I had a bad payer mix. I understand. I understand. So, and can you just tell me a little bit about the or the history of Oregon and Medicaid in terms of how, oh, how that all? Yeah, came that's to uh, Governor Kitzhaber. I don't know all the details there, but it was very innovative and it sounded kind of good. And they thought, well, if we're going to ration care, let's be overt about it and let's decide which things are most important. So, way back, my understanding is the number one diagnosis was intracranial hemorrhage, bleeding into the brain, of course. And then years later, the number one became prenatal care. And my my little um, cynical view of that is perhaps that there's a lot more people getting paid for prenatal care than for intracranial hemorrhage. I don't know the politics of how they got rearranged, but it's arbitrary. It's political. So um, dermatology being mostly non-life-threatening when they had, so, you know, it used to cover, I don't know, down to line 600 or something, and now it's line 200. So it's line by line. The line has gone up. There's fewer things covered over the years. So Medicaid traditionally did not pay very well at all. And, and, and suddenly they came up with this idea that they would pay better, but they would only pay for certain, certain diagnoses. And over time, and they got everyone to buy in and, you know, you sounded hopeful about it, like, oh, yeah, this is not a bad idea. And then over time, as, as happens to all systems like this, they started to winnow what they were covering. They started to decrease payments in, in one way or the other. Exactly right. I never loved it, but at least it seemed fairly rational. Okay. And then it became more irrational. What in this whole, the Oregon... Um, uh, tied tied this into the Oregon health experiment. The Oregon, uh, what was it called? I'm blanking on it. Oh, the oh, yeah. There was a study, and again, I can't quote, but there was yeah. a study where they compared people on Oregon health plan. With, uh, well, uh huh. Yes, no, but, but meaning, it, it, so it's the case that not everyone. I mean, it's not not that everyone can be covered by the Medicaid plan because there's not enough money right. to cover everyone. So you have to have a lottery to decide who is and who isn't covered by by Medicaid, correct? Correct. And I so, don't know the current status of the lottery, but you know, for okay. people who are working, there was a lottery because people wanted to get on it. I see. Mm-hmm. I see. Okay. And then uh, and, and there was a study that was done by, I think, uh, Kathleen Baker, who's an economist, who, who saw this as a brilliant uh, way to uh, kind of, this was essentially a randomized control trial of, of Medicaid. And, and that's a very a famous paper now in terms of uh, Medicaid versus non-Medicaid and how how people do and whether or not lives are saved or not. They're not. Yes, correct. <laughs> but um, but once so that so so that was that was all happening well before the ACA. Is that correct? It was mm-hmm. okay. And and the the issue was is that Medicare was which is primarily it was traditional Medicare, Kathleen. Is that what yes, you yes, it was traditional Medicare. Mm-hmm. And and traditional Medicare you found for a while doesn't pay well for dermatology. Uh, well, that- okay, I guess I'm still a little bit of an outlier. I guess I'm always a bit of an outlier, mm-hmm. but um, you know, out on the coast we have 
very few dermatologists and people have come a very long way. I have people coming from two hours away who have serious skin conditions like bolus pemphigoid, autoimmune blistering. And, you know, I am a, a careful, thorough doctor. And um, so, you know, people are starting to get squeezed. And I think the thing that has happened that we've seen in dermatology is that people are going faster and faster and delegating more tasks to non-physician providers. I don't like the word provider, right. but non-physicians. And <coughs> I very stubbornly stuck with my way of practice, which is thorough and careful. Uh, but still was kind of being, you know, worked to death, run into the ground. You know, I taught patients to expect thorough care and, you know, I didn't limit them to one or two or three things. They come in with their list of six things. They've waited three months for their appointment. And so, you know, I gave them what they wanted, which was addressing all those things and then build what I did is honestly and completely, but you know, after a while that doesn't work anymore. Yeah. So. Kathleen, I... I totally see why the writing was on the wall for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so. Kathleen, were you, um, uh, I suppose you were either a partner of that group or on the partner track or something. I mean, where supposedly you're, you're sort of uh, part owner of the group. Uh, is that? I was a partner and I was on right. the executive committee and, you know, had been in the group a long time. Those are all my friends. Right. Um, I, was, I was happy there. Right. But how much did you feel that you could control into, or did you, did you feel... Did you feel that things could be done differently compared to what uh, the rest of the group wanted to, to be done? Or did you think that there was no, uh, there was really no margin of maneuver, that there was only one way to respond to the situation? Well, that's an interesting question because I wanted to figure out how I could get out of uh, some of these things, out of Medicare and stay within my group because um, I just felt comfortable there. And my husband, who's helped me with all of this, said, you know, okay, that's not going to work. But it took me a while to be convinced that that wasn't going to work. Right. Uh, did you even um, float the idea by your partners, or uh, they weren't they weren't they interested were... in it? Right. You know. Yeah. Right. And um, and in terms of, I mean, did you have a? You could see your your own income was sort of uh, carved out. I mean, it was based on whatever you were you were generating uh, uh, that sort of thing for for the most part. Or yes, we had a co very complicated formula that. Oh. Uh, you know, I'd been involved in, in designing the formula to try to be fair, uh, but it's a production formula. And um, so we had certain expenses that were, you know, your own expense, like suture materials, stuff that was just mine. And then we had things that were shared by the group. So, and we saw each other's paychecks too. Every month we saw each other's paychecks. It's kind of a complicated little thing that kind of ratcheted so that you weren't, you know, if you took vacation, you weren't, um, punished too much, you know, it kind of worked right. out over like six months. I think a lot of groups have those sorts of formulas. It's complicated, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's mm -hmm. almost, it's almost uh, uh, impossible to, you know, people, some people want to, uh, you know, are actually more productive than others. Uh, some people, it's the nature of their work that uh, demands this or demands that or more time or less time, or they can be more efficient or less efficient. Or it's reimbursed better by just by the 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 uh, you know the absurdity and the arbitrariness of the reimbursement schemes, right? So certain specialties are are privileged in that way, and yeah, uh, and it, and it's very hard to to get together as a group, even as as well-meaning as everybody uh, may be, and and uh, and it's because yeah. in this particular case that uh, it sounds like um, uh, you you have a fee-for-service volume-based 
productivity practice, right? And Kathleen is was attempting to push back on that, right? She wanted to deliver a quality of quality care that may take a fair amount of time per patient for somebody who's traveled three hours that you don't want to necessarily bring back every week for, you know, <laughs> for some other problem that they have. And that type of that type of care model doesn't fit with uh, volume based uh, reimbursement. So, 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 so you can see why you know you were probably incredibly frustrated by uh, by this whole thing. So unless so you're the, the, essentially you were being forced to either uh, hire a bunch of PAs and see fifty or sixty people a day, which is what a lot of dermatologists do, right? Um, Yes. And kind of oversee them and become a billing machine, um, or or continue to provide you know one-on-one quality care like you were you know or that you wanted to give. Well, it's <laughs> it's not an accident that we named my new practice Oregon Coast Dermatology, which is also an abbreviation for OCD. Um, <laughs> you know, I mean, some of it is just personal style, personal practice style. Um, but um, I don't know. I can't cut people off. <laughs> I don't yeah. do that. I did train a nurse practitioner for a year, and I wasn't really totally comfortable with all that. And she left because her husband wanted to get work elsewhere. Um, so I don't know. I guess I'm just someone who goes a different way. Yeah. And then in, two, and so in, in 2011, um, were there specific uh, uh, pressures that the ACA so the ACA did not was not in your in, in your particular case was not going to increase your reimbursement for what you were doing. Is that accurate? Uh, even before that, I just kind of I don't know. I just said I'm not going to do that. Okay. So <laughs> I was what, like, I've had enough. I reached my you know straw on the camel's back moment where I just went, no, I'm not <laughs> going to do that. And well, which um, part of it was it that you 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 found the most difficult to to deal with or? Any little uh, bit more whatsoever. Right, right. <laughs> and so you, so you open up a practice. <clears throat> how, how far away from your old practice? Or uh, within two miles, and I'm on very good terms with them. Okay, all right. And and, and this was a purely uh, cash-based practice, which didn't take insurance. Is that right? Or, or correct. Yeah. Correct. So, right so how did you get to that to that point? Because in you know this one I did uh, this one I jumped ship also in 2011. Um, there weren't that many people doing that uh, at the time. Uh, I mean, certainly not. I mean, in cardiology, it's still a rarity. I mean, I'm the the only lunatic one uh, on the planet doing this. But um, I love it. But but in uh, in internal medicine, it was not very common, and uh, in dermatology. Uh, I suspect there may be some who do high-end, uh, primarily aesthetic dermatology, who may be cash only. Yes, I think in places like Manhattan and L.A., there's quite a bit of that, but they're not out there saying I'm doing something different. They're just catering to that segment of the market uh, that is used to receiving excellent service so, so, and can afford it. Right. So what maybe made you even consider the possibility of doing something cash-based? Because you know it was completely out of my radar for years. I mean, I mean it it came on my radar. I would say probably in two thousand seven, two thousand eight, and it took me about three years to 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 muster the uh, you know I wouldn't say the wherewithal, but <laughs> to muster well, whatever it takes to to sort of make the final jump. Well, it was in my head for years. My ideal how I would like to do it. You know, I actually thought this 
practice Bay Clinic. I sought them out. I was looking for, you know, because I came from Baltimore with the HMOs and I hated that, <laughs> uh, you know. Um, so at the time I joined Bay Clinic, they had a really excellent group of internists and I was an internist still. And mm. um, it's just over time, you know, trying to still practice that way was becoming increasingly difficult. So yes, I think the internists were unhappy with it too, but they just came to a different right. conclusion as to what, what sort of, um, you know, radical, you know, I'm the radical I did took, but it was, uh, with the help, help of my husband. Cause he's like, well, it's obvious you just set a price and, you know, here he's a business person, you know, set a price, offer a great product, let people know and see if they will come. Do you, uh, before we, we talk about your experience, do you miss internal medicine or did you miss it when you, uh, you found yourself having to do dermatology primarily within that group? No, I'm a very visual person. I really enjoy the surgical procedures and the visual aspects of dermatology. But um, I think doing internal medicine the way that I'm doing dermatology now, I think would be great. You know, again, have the time to spend with people. I think that would be great. But I think uh, I blame CPT. I mean, I think CPT killed internal medicine. So right. That's my, my view. For sure. So... Um... So you have the support of your husband, which I think is important, right? In, well, he in, in your story, it for me. he listened okay. to me complaining, and he actually, you know, he's just very entrepreneurial, and uh -huh. he he did all the work of setting it up. Right, including, I mean, then at that point, I mean, it's every single detail: what uh, what location, you know, negotiating a rent, what equipment you need, what. Uh, you know, you need to hire staff, somebody needs to do the bookkeeping, you need to buy a computer system, uh, you need to order supplies. I mean, it's it's endless, right? And it's it, uh, well, it and is it's daunting. And he's my secret weapon, but I would like to replicate this. We are actually working on some projects. I know that's probably off base, but um, working on some projects to help other people do what I've done because it's so nice. It's such a nice way to practice. Wonderful. So, Kathleen, but. Uh, you are you've been practicing now for a, a while in, in in model and you've been successful would you say you've been successful uh, absolutely it would seem that given your prior paramix i i don't i don't know that i would be i i don't know that i would have uh, been so excited to advise somebody to go into what is a primarily medicaid slash Medicare population to, to try this. But but you, you've been able to make it work. Is that true? Yes. Well, right now, I think my, if you would say pay or mix, everybody pays the posted price, but I have about a third. Uh, can you hear me okay? I just... Yeah, he's, okay, he's still there. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yep, I can hear you. Um, about a third Medicare still. And even though, you know, they have their Medicare and their supplement, they come see me and pay me and they don't get reimbursed. <clears throat> and um, so I have a little better mix in terms of, uh, more young people. So it's a little more balanced practice. And, you know, before I just stopped taking new patients because I was full. And so, you know, it became kind of unbalanced and I like seeing the full range of ages. Um, but you're, but uh, did it take a while to turn profitable? Um, no, we were profitable immediately, like oh, right wow. away. Uh, that is, so that includes the salary that you're paying yourself and, and whatnot. That wasn't, it's um, not a salary, so it's or, a purely, yeah, pur yeah, purely profit based. So 
uh, like a restaurant would be. But, you know, I think the first month we cleaned our own bathrooms, you know. Uh, but yes, right. you're profitable. I mean, whether you take money out of the business, I accumulated money in the business. We're older. My husband has a business. Yeah. But, um, no, I have a great deal of pride in that. I, I guess I'd be like Keith Smith. I mean, I'm like not going to do this unless I'm going to be profitable. <laughs> so cool. yes, but so, you know, to grow it and, mm -hmm. and, you know, bring in more profit over time. Did you, um, uh, and, and you also mentioned <clears throat> or talked about that it's difficult to recruit people in this environment. Can you talk about why that is? Let's actually, before we get there, I want to I wanna continue to explore how, uh, you know, huh. your success story, Kathleen, because, you know, uh, it's great and I want to learn from it because <laughs> I'm struggling. A lot of people are struggling. Um, how much, so the fact that you had been in the, in the area for uh, 15 years, maybe more, 13. 15 years, 13, right, before you opened, how many of the patients followed you or you had a name, made a name for yourself? Was that, uh, you know, from day one, was, did that make it easy? Well, it, it helps that I'm in a shortage area. So there's that, but there's a lot of other people who are not doing dermat, not dermatologists who are competing with me and people will go see a nurse practitioner, a physician assistant, but you know, it does help that there's very few and we're somewhat isolated. So that's actually an advantage in terms of demand, but um, a lot of people said, I'll go elsewhere then. And, you know, a good number of those came back. Right. Right. And, um, and, and then did you have, uh, did you have to uh, spend money for in marketing or advertise or how, how did you, or oh. by, there was sufficient to get you going from the beginning and then it was word of mouth after that? Well, I'll brag on my husband, Jack, again, he is a marketing genius. He really is. He loves marketing and he doesn't like to spend a lot of money on it. And, you know, one of the things we did, well, I'll tell you another thing in a sec, but um, we had an A-frame sign. It was very pretty. We had beautiful, well, okay, location, location, location. You know, we had a beautiful location with nice signage and a classy-looking establishment. We renovated our building. We have a building. But we had an A-frame up that said, accepting new patients had my name, MD, and phone number. And we got more patients off that well how did you how did you find us oh well, I jogged past your sign so <laughs> you know and then uh website and oh little little cards little postcards that had my picture um uh, what do you call that uh uh I can't remember the name of it. Anyway, it was a nice little color. It had my picture and the phone number, accepting new patients, and a map. You know, I'm taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> and we priced for growth initially. He's also very big on pricing. He's a pricing guru. We argue about pricing, okay? But um, you know, we priced for growth initially to get people coming in the door, and then over time, as we had increased demand, then we we increased prices, which was very hard for me to do. So, right, and um, and so, and did you need much of a uh, sort of a? You know, I, I don't want to know the amount, but there was, well, there was a little bit of savings. Uh, there had to be a little bit of savings before you made the jump. I think and... I put about $6,000 cash into our checking account. But, you know, over time we, um, yeah, we, we paid for everything directly. We didn't borrow anything. But right. again, we're, we're, we have another business. We've gone back and forth between the two of us and who's earning, you know, carrying the greater earnings load at times. So we just, we renovated a building and uh, really very, very little debt involved. I think I, oh, I had a loan for my laser. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
And um, how did the uh, enjoyment come immediately? Do you, I mean, it was immediate uh, job satisfaction, uh, all that, the, the good stuff. Yes, it was a little scary at first because you do wonder, will people come? You know, when you have a gap, you're like, well, you know, it makes you nervous. But um, um, it very quickly, we got to a point where we're starting to schedule months out again. I was like, well, I don't want to go there again. I don't want to cut off taking new patients. So yeah, this is my idea. And he thought it wasn't a good one, but it was a great one. Uh, we did a walk-in one day. <laughs> a week, uh, an afternoon, and we fill up and have to turn people away. And people come from, oh, people come from, oh my gosh, I've had people from Portland, which is four hours away. And people come and sit and wait ahead of time. We're like, don't come that early. But they come and sit and wait. And, and they thank us every single time. They thank us for that. So. Oh, really great. Um. And it's not discounted. People have a mistaken notion that that is discounted, but it's the same posted price. It's just you have access. That's all it is. Yeah, that's amazing. And there are no other, I mean, there, there, I guess there's a paucity of dermatologists uh, around. There is. There's uh, dermatologists who've been here longer than I have been, and he sold his practice recently to one of those large groups, and he's, he's 76. He's down to two days a week. There's a nurse practitioner there. So, no, total paucity. We're in what's called a dermatology desert. That's not my term. I didn't make it up. <clears throat> mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Right. I'm not in the cardiology desert or in the internal medicine desert. <laughs> in the location, middle of San Francisco. Location, right. <laughs> you should come here. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's true. Mm. Uh, okay. So now you've been at it for uh, seven years? Yeah. So over seven years, almost eight. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And what's happened? What's changed? What? Uh, how does it look? Uh, it's still awesome. I just have more than I can do. We're blocked out. Well, as I told you, we're, I'm I'm going to close. I'm I'm 60, and we've reached a point where we're going to make some changes in our life, but not because it's not awesome. I mean, it's awesome. Um, but I work very hard. I mean, if people are looking for an easy way to make a living, I work really hard to try to give that value every day and do those extra things for people. And again, my OCD, you know, I call everybody with their biopsy results. I I want to make sure I'm delivering every day on mm -hmm. that on that excellence. Mm -hmm. so. so you were, Anish was mentioning, you were trying to recruit, you were, you were hoping to recruit somebody. Yes, yes. So I mostly recruited through social media and it's impossible to recruit a dermatologist to rural areas sometimes, but people were interested in my model. Uh, but ultimately you have to have someone be willing to pick up roots and move and it's a risk and a lot of them have a lot of debt. So even though people were interested, um, you know, they ultimately I didn't have anyone sign a lease. I had someone who made a verbal commitment and then they changed their minds and, um, you know, backed out of it. And so we just decided not to continue to do that because we don't have to and because we want to uh, go live in Montana. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so that's it. it. <laughs> is it the case? Do you think that the issue is, is that the amount that you can make in the practice um, is not enough to uh, f for the loans that these young graduates have, or is it that uh, there's um, the time commitment is too much to you know do this solo like you're doing it, or? 
I think people want guarantees. You know, they, mm. they're unhappy, some of them with the, the supervising a lot of lesser trained people and taking on that risk. They're unhappy about that. They're unhappy about having not enough time with people, but they want security and they already have all that um, debt. And they, they want security and they're also, you know, they're talking to each other about, you know, how much you need to earn. Um, and they expect a certain amount instead of looking at like long-term ownership of like how much can I make in terms of a salary. They're really thinking salary. And mm. what am I worth? I don't see this whole thing as being sustainable. You know, I, I, I see us on, you know, like on the Titanic, but with, well, you know, with the model that they're in, I see mine as being very secure. You might make less in the short run, depending, but you know, you don't have to make the same as you make in Chicago or San Francisco. You know, you don't, the, the living expenses are lower. So, you know, how much is enough for you to make and do you feel comfortable with the way that you're practicing medicine? So I like the way that I'm practicing medicine and, oh, it's really hard doing the, the closing thing now too, because people are very, you know, they're very upset about it. They're very sure. upset that I'm going to close my sure. patients. Sure. So. And so you you said you tried to recruit through social media. Was it primarily the reaction that you've, you know, the, this lack of interest, is it from uh, from grads or from uh, even people in practice? I mean, have you had any interest from people who are? I suspect, I mean, you know, we think dermatologists are pretty happy in general, but there must be some unhappy dermatologists. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, I mean, I think I got more people visiting here and seriously interested in it than if I were in the conventional. I think the key to the six, the interest we had was because of my novel practice model. People, you know, like, wow, that sounds wonderful. And they, but, you know, they have roots. And um, so right. um, it's a rural area. It's hard to get here. It's beautiful. But I, I mean, there's a huge opportunity here for someone who wants to come in or two people or three people who want to come in. But you have to get over the coastal mountains. And um, so getting places from here is challenging. And we're not near big cities. So you have to be an outdoors person. And uh, so it needs a special person. And they also need to have a tolerance for risk. So yeah, all of that is, uh, all that seems to be, well, yeah, I can see how that would seem to be challenging for like a fresh young grad coming out of, uh, mm -hmm. out of, uh, out of residency. <clears throat> Do you, um, are you optimistic about uh, where healthcare is, uh, is headed? It almost uh, seems like, uh, all, all the, you know, as the third party payer, uh, the third party uh, uh, payer part of healthcare got, gets worse and worse. It actually increases opportunities for, folks like you and for Michelle and the Surgery Center of Oklahoma? Well, I, I think it's a real puzzlement because, I mean, I've thought about that a lot. I think more <laughs> people ought to do what I'm doing. I just think it's yeah. the right thing for patient care. Um, so, you know, physician needs to be happy, but, um, you know, I, I just, I see, I'm sorry, appalling things happening in, in care. And, you know, it's like nobody's responsible for it. What yes. uh, can you describe? What, what do you mean by appalling things? You mean in terms of how? Not not to be too ideological, but I mean I just always think you know about the old Soviet system. I, mean, I don't know if you met Yuri Maltsev. He's a really interesting guy. He's an economist, <laughs> and he was an economist under. Uh, 
Gorbachev in, in Soviet Union. He was a defector and uh, his stories. So I was just like, kind of so sorry, comrade, can't do that for you. You know, it's just, you know, just appalling care. And nobody says, oh, I've got an obligation to do everything for you. I'm going to be your advocate. And um, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And, and I think it's, you know, the, the more unhappy doctors are, the, the more likely they are to uh, take on that attitude. Because then you say, well, you know, I mean, I, I'm unhappy, and and uh, and why why should I, uh, you know, go the extra mile when when in fact I'm not going to be rewarded and and that sort of thing. Yeah, I, there's a great little book by I think William Carter. He's deceased. He was an internist called "The Two Days That Ruined Your Healthcare." And there's a little chapter in there. It's called "My Doctor Is Acting Funny," and it's something like, well, if I can't do a really great job, I might as well go to lunch. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I, hmm, I, I don't want to be too harsh on people, but I, I but think... we, we have to, we have to wake them up. I'm trying to get, be harsh on my co-host here, but he, he's sort of, uh, you should do it. <laughs> but I, I mean, you know, it, it, yeah, it's a little scary for people. Yeah. It's so, it's so, it's so interesting that, um, the, the massive focus from folks in health policy is uh, that um, we have expanded health coverage. Mm -hmm. More people have health insurance than ever before. Yet, yet you are sitting in Coos Bay, Oregon, and um, you know there are no dermatologists to see patients. I don't understand, Kathleen. Why? Um, I thought healthcare is now a right. So, I mean, why is healthcare not being delivered to everyone? Right. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't <laughs> think it's a right. Of course, I don't think it's a right. Um... No, because then somebody else decides how much you get, and you're not going to get much. So um, yeah, it's a mess. I don't know where it's headed. I mean, I just no. think you have to. I, you know, my conclusion. I went to D.C. I, you know, I was like, you know, they need they need to fix it. I went there with a group of doctors, and you know, my conclusion was they don't understand it. They're not going to fix it. I need to fix my own problems. That was my conclusion. You know. Yeah, that, that's right. You 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 have you've been fairly active in terms of um, trying to pass bills and legislation and whatnot. Have your interactions with politicians in the local sphere, in the national? I guess I don't know who exactly you've interacted with at what levels, but are they all relatively clueless? And if if yeah. they are so clueless, why are they so clueless? Well, yeah, I had so much fun going to Salem, which is the the. Um the capital of Oregon, and I, I hired a lobbyist, a legislative consultant, who charged me hardly anything. He was so sweet, and he believed in what I was doing. He was just a great guy. He was a former senator, yeah. state senator. And, you know, he did teach me. You know, I have my own political opinions, but he taught me to talk across the aisle, and I was amazed that there were people who, like, got it. But when it came down to getting something out of committee, oh, no, no, they wouldn't. You know, they're mm. like, it was eye-opening. They, they were stunned by certain things that I said, but the health insurance people. So yeah, I didn't have anything to do with federal or state uh, programs, but really private health insurers having to do with the stacked deductibles. And um, oh, they came out in force. And my state medical association came out against me too. You know, I just really? was working in the out of network sphere. You know, they have the stacked deductible that Keith Smith talked about too, mm -hmm. that, you know, people can't get their insurance money to pay for something that, you know, I was very naive actually. I thought that the health insurance companies would love it, that I offered certain things 
that were a great bargain. Instead of you know going to that outpatient surgery center and have your basal cell carcinoma excised on your forehead for four thousand dollars, I did it in the office for five hundred with a fancy flap repair. You know, and they were like, wow, you know. And then the insurance companies come in and they go, she's costing us money and pointed at me. She's the only one in our four states. She's costing us money. Because basically what they're saying is that processing the claim was going to cost far more than the cost of providing the care. And so the legislators kind of dropped their jaw and went, oh, wow, that's interesting. But nothing happened, you know. My bills didn't get out of committee, so. I, I, yeah, I, I do. I mean, I, I'm utterly politically naive, and I, for the life of me, cannot understand why the insurance companies have such a lock on both left and right. You know? I mean, there's no difference. There's literally the establishment left and the establishment right. Both, both are you know uh, solidly behind insuring all of America and making sure that we all will pay you know, whatever, $400 a month or and, and, and more to insurance companies to insure us for, you know, well, I, th I think they have a great scam and so does so do a lot of politicians and the scam is telling people that without us, it's going to be ridiculously expensive when actually I think they're the cause of it being ridiculously expensive. So when when you say that, I guess that the, the problem is these politicians. I mean, what is the it, the deal here? When well, the politicians must be able to understand this, right? I mean, you are provide you are able to do the same procedure for eight times less. Yes, I mean now some what? things will be more. I mean some well, things will be more, but I mean it just I'm I'm based on my costs. I figure out what are the costs that I have. Right. Right, yeah, right, I mean right. so of course you see there's times when I saw this at my previous practice. Yeah. You know, things that pay well people will get more of them people things that pay poorly people will get less and that's a very sad indictment on the medical profession that you know we are influenced by is something reimbursed or paid well so right. yeah i don't know right. i was headed with that but <laughs> yeah no no so so the so yeah but the question is how do we uh, i guess the only solution is to try to go directly to People? I mean, uh, to go to the masses I, or be a populist I, like Donald Trump or how, how do you do this? I, I mean, I'm convinced that you can't fix it top down. And I think that uh, we need to be allowed the space. I and mean, that's why I advocate for on a political level is just let us have a little space to provide an alternative. And no matter where people are politically, they they can be relied on to do what's best for themselves. It's so amazing. I have people come in my practice who are affluent and Bernie Sanders supporters, and they have their Bernie buttons on, and their Medicare and Medicaid, and they come in and they pay for care, which is completely opposed to what they say they believe. So why do they do that? You know, I don't know why they do that. <laughs> I mean, they yeah. think it's what's best for them, and they thank you, and they're so sweet, but they got their little button on that wants to outlaw, they want to outlaw what I do. Right, right. No, the, the contradiction is, is, is really... Uh... Uh, amazing and uh, you know in a way incomprehensible but it's uh, uh why you should why, why are you you should perhaps not allow not allow bernie, <laughs> bernie supporters in <laughs> no we don't discriminate i mean i'll see anybody <laughs> I, I think partly is because you know the the private sector has been so vilified for for so long you know i mean they, they 
I don't know. It's 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 true what you say. It's true. I mean, I have the same experience. I mean, here I have a uh, you know many many patients who uh, who strongly believe you know did believe in Obamacare and and uh, now would believe in uh, in Medicare for all. But you're right for themselves. They're more than happy to pay cash and uh, and they don't see the disconnect. Well, they would really rather it be free, but they want what they right. want, and if they right. have to pay for it, then they will. Right. Right. And they can't get what they want elsewhere, you know. So. Right. And it's not just lack of, I mean, they, you know, there are people they can see, they can go out of town, etc. So part of it is there's lack of dermatologists. But, they, you know, there are a lot of people who, you know, I'll biopsy, I'll diagnose a skin cancer, they've Medicaid, they have Medicare, they've, no, I'm sorry, Medicare and a supplement, they met their deductible, they're not going to have to pay anything, and they come in my office and have an excision done by me for, you know, $700 instead of, quote, free. Why do they do that? They, we provide them with an experience where they feel um, they trust, I think. They trust and they feel cared for and they know that, I mean, I give them my cell phone and my email and, you know, all of that. They know that they're not, if they have a problem, I'm there for them. So I, I'm not sure why they choose it either. I'm always like, I come on again, I tell my husband, I was like, wow, they had Medicare and a supplement and they came and they paid for the surgery that they could have had, quote, free, but they came to me. Why did they do that? You know, I think yeah, I do yeah. nice surgical work. Right. <laughs> Um, you know, before we, we close, Kathleen, I want to go back um, to what you were saying about the, the job security in the long term uh, in doing what you're doing, um, b because that's a very important point, I think, to, to get across, to, to try to motivate uh, you know, any physician listening who might be considering uh, doing that, um, because that's, to me, that was a strong motivation. Um, I, I was wrong. I mean, I thought... Uh, so I had a hunch in 2006, 2007, uh, yeah, even 2007, I had a, a hunch and, you know, what I was reading that the, the economy, that was before the, the bubble burst, but I, I had a feeling that it might. And and then I thought, and I knew that, you know, by then I, I knew that the system was unsustainable, it seemed. Uh, I was working for Kaiser Permanente, the large HMO here. And I, I, I could see, you know, that there was a, a lot of waste. And I thought, you know, this is not sustainable. I mean, that is, is going to crumble. And I thought it might crumble in 2008. So I thought, well, I better, I better get out before Kaiser Permanente goes bankrupt. Well, they're not going bankrupt, <laughs> you know. So I'm, I'm the one struggling. But on the other hand, I, I still think that it's, it's very precarious. And, um, and certainly a doctor working in the system is in a precarious situation because they're so dependent on that system, you know, uh, that, you know, being being around for a few more years when it, it might, I mean, the, the, the numbers look, you know, they, uh, someday it's going to crumble. Now, of course, it may take another 50 years and maybe this generation will escape, but it may not. And, and I just didn't want to gamble. I thought, you know, I'd rather have it on me. I'd rather take the responsibility responsibility myself and and feel more secure even though in the short run it it, it may seem uh, you know much more difficult so what you were saying about this you know uh, ownership most of us you know our our greatest asset is our professional skill 
or skills, right? I mean, that's really by, uh, and it's an asset that cannot be taken away. Everything else can be taken away. But what we know, what we can do for others is, is really the number one asset. And, uh, and to put it at the mercy of a system that is, you know, wasteful, unethical, problematic, uh, you know, dysfunctional and all that, uh, to me is an incredible risk. And, and I, I would hope that, you know, I'm hoping that this line of reasoning motivates others to view it that way, to say, yes, you know, this is really way too risky to stay in the system. I better get out soon. I think if people feel that they're not providing great care, they need to be self-honest. And, you know, the problem is for so, dermatology is relatively easy because I can get my own equipment and I don't need the hospital. People are dependent on the system. But if you're providing lousy care, you're part of a system that provides lousy care. I'm sorry, you're partly responsible. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, there was, uh, I don't know if you saw it, uh, there was an editorial by a cardiologist, Milton Packer. Uh, he, uh, I, I like what he writes. He, he, you know, people find it very controversial. You know, he himself, he, he works in the system. He, he was an academic for many years. He still is involved in clinical trials, that sort of thing. But he was making a, you know, a comment about, particularly about academic academic physicians and about uh, why, you know, academic centers are having difficulty. And he said, you know, if if um, if if you're satisfied with a 10-minute visit as a doctor, right? I mean, patients are recognizing that it means that you don't really care about them, and and you don't have to, uh, in a way. And 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 many doctors have what we were talking about earlier have uh, just bought into that idea that they can't. You know, it's not them; it's the system imposing those 10-minute visits and 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 the lousy care that goes with that. Right, right. But in fact, it's it's them because they they are actively, you know, materially uh, complicit in in uh, keeping the system going. Well, it kills me that the, I hear doctors say, "Well, medicine is not a you know a job; it's a calling." And yet, you know, they want this huge amount of money. Yes, they have a lot of debt, and um, they are led around by the money. And I'm totally pro profit, <laughs> but. Um, you know, you shouldn't, the way you pay shouldn't be, you are paid should not be in conflict with your values as a physician. You know, you need to put that patient first. And if you're not able to do that, um, how can you be happy? You know? Right. Amen. So, you hear that, co-host? Preach into the converted. <laughs> half converted. Come <laughs> on over. <laughs> it's not that scary. It works. You, I mean, you know, you have to be, you have to have the business skills too, though. You know, right, you, right. You that's just, something that I, I, uh, I could use help with for sure. That's yeah, and and that's something that's that's really important. I mean, uh, I, you know, I've heard more than one person say over and over again that that uh, the the new era that you uh, you and Kathleen would usher in is not necessarily going to be an easier one for most physicians right the vast wow. majority of physicians are super happy uh, clocking in and clocking out and making you know a significant amount of money regardless of how well they did their job uh, that day um, but this new this brave new world that you're talking about is one where you know you really have to be good in in a multi uh, faceted way you have to be you know you have to be uh, you know, you have to be attractive and affable to your patients. 
I mean, I, that, you know, I, I don't have a problem with that, but you have to have, you have to have business acumen. You have to, you know, you have to, uh, and, and, that can and be hopefully good marketing. at what you do. Patients yeah. are vulnerable. That's the whole system is based on yeah. a foundation of trust. And, you know, so I had this young guy, I know we need we wrap up, but young guy come in and he's seen four other people. I said, well, you know, so-and-so is not a doctor. He didn't care in the least. He just, he cared that, you know, it was easy for me. He came in, I said, you have this, you have this, you have this. It was easy for me because it's what I do and I have a lot of experience and I'm good at what I do. Yeah. And uh, he didn't care who they were or what their credentials or their yeah. licensing or any of that. He just wanted someone to get it right. Yeah, so. but, but there's, you know, there's plenty of technicians who mm -hmm. right now are uh, surgeons who perhaps don't have the best bedside manner. Um, they may be technically very good. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and they, you know, they hide, they may not have the best post-op follow-up and stuff, but they're, uh, you know, and and they, and you and you can hide in these large systems where you have these massive referral bases that just feed you patients all the time. And so, you know, we we are we as a physician group are in some ways the biggest barrier to. to oh, absolutely! You know, my patients got it so much faster than physicians. Physicians just couldn't even see it. How could that possibly work? Where patients right. get it immediately. Right, because your medical board came out against you, right? Not uh, the board, my oh, sorry, the sorry. association, the physician association, because oh, they sell a lot of uh, CPT stuff, compliance stuff. I mean, they don't say that's why they came against me, but of course it is. You know, I, I you know, the, my most radical thing is I don't build by CPT, I build by yeah. time. Yeah. So, oh, how dare you do that? Yeah, you know and these, you know these narrow-minded. It's, it's very frustrating. But, but, perhaps the best we can hope for is for a large group of folks to be incompetent, incompetent enough to <laughs> not, not, not give folks like you and Michelle a tremendous amount of, uh, of competition to, uh, you know, thrive. <laughs> Yeah, I, I welcome the competition, you know, bring it on. <laughs> Kathleen, you were, before we close, you were alluding to uh, a possible project. I don't know if you're ready to, to talk about yes. it. Uh, something to, to help others. Uh, yes. Tell yes. us, because well, uh, um, you're going to close your clinic, but, uh, but it'd be a shame for all that experience not to, you know, to, yes. to be passed on. Yes, and there's opportunity here. So if dermatologists want to come here, whether they're direct pay or not, there's tremendous opportunity here to serve wonderful people. But uh, my medical school is Eastern Virginia Medical in Norfolk, Virginia, and I went to William & Mary undergraduate, uh, which is the second oldest school in the country, and my husband went to business school there. So we have contacts and um, we're a three-generation William & Mary family. And uh, so we are working on an elective for medical students and young physicians on, it'll be short, business skills, entrepreneurism, uh, ethics, economics, philosophy, very compact. So these people who are still idealists, we can give them some practical tools, whether it's uh, in a DPC or direct pay or, or even as an employee to understand what it is that they're getting into. Um, and to stop saying that business is bad, but letting someone else make all the business decisions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and personal finance. <laughs> and, and that would take what kind of, what form would it take? Would it be a... Well, you know, we're working that out, but we're thinking it may be, uh, you know, a couple of weeks. And um, the, it probably the business school, their entrepreneurism center, coming to the campus of Eastern Virginia initially, we're going to first prove the concept and then hopefully expand it and, you know, may have some online capabilities. So right now we got to 
you know, and the medical students are very excited about it. That sounds great. Are you uh, are you involved with the uh, Benjamin Rush Institute? Or I am. You are. My husband's okay. on the board. Okay, great. Jack okay. Brown. He's on the board of Benjamin Rush. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Small world. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Kathleen, that's that's terrific. Uh, I really enjoyed this conversation very, very much. Uh, it's uh, it's inspiring. You know, you ha you haven't been able to uh, to keep the clinic open, but uh, you know, there there are local factors. I think uh, uh, in that regard, and otherwise, I'm very happy to to hear that, that there are you know plans to to pass on this tremendous experience that you and, and your we, husband have. Uh, we have other doctors who are doing it. I have helped. We have helped other doctors. They're just not here in Coos Bay. It's a small movement at this time. Right. So very good. Well, it's uh, you know mid-December as we record this. Uh, I want to wish you a very, very happy holidays to you and your husband and your family. <laughs> Thank you. And it's going to be our, our, our well. last recording of the year. It, it will come out, you know, probably in a, in a couple of weeks. But uh, but we wish you very well, Kathleen. Thank you. I can see you, but you can't see me. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. Take care. Thanks again. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Akkad and Coca Report. Subscribe for free on iTunes or Stitcher at akkadandcoca.com, where you'll find detailed show notes, our blog, and more. Akkadandcoca.com.